The views and opinions expressed on this show are purely the views and opinions of the person who made them and do not necessarily reflect or agree with those of the show's commercial sponsors, its radio station affiliates, or Internet broadcast platforms. As the restriction on our God-given right to free speech manifests itself throughout the world, we are inspired by Jesus Christ's immortal words, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we reserve the rights to all our words. Thank you, and now enjoy the show. To learn who rules over you, simply find out who you are not allowed to criticize. You are listening to ACH, I'm Andy, your host. Today is Thursday, so it is the time for our weekly get-together with Dr. Peter Hammond. He's got a great topic, he always does, but I'm especially looking forward to this one today. It's called The Real Story of How Mikhail Gorbachev Instigated the Great Reset. But first, Peter, welcome to the show. Great to have you on. Thank you very much, Andrew. Excellent. And uh, I've, I've got our introduction muddled up because I just introduced the title before I introduced Peter. So I'm now going to go over the title quickly again. The Real Story of How Mikhail Gorbachev Instigated the Great Reset. I'm fascinated by that title, Peter. Where would you like to start us off today, please? Well, uh, the world is in Gorbachev uh, mania and uh, he's a real patron saint and idol of the New World Order. Uh, sort of like a Mandela, Mao, Lenin character, but even more so. And the reason is because he really initiated, he launched the whole uh, Great Reset. You can see how it was instigated uh, as as uh, Mikhail Gorbachev left the Soviet Union and the Soviet Union collapsed, uh, dismantled, uh, disintegrated, broken to 15 uh, countries and uh, he looked like he had just been ousted by a coup in in the Soviet Union. That's the way it looked like. Uh, but of course, appearances can be deceptive. But where does he go? He goes on this uh, absolute speaking tour of like a victory parade around the West, speaking at all sorts of places. And one of the key elements is he gives a speech in Fulton, Missouri. Now, if that rings a bell somewhere in people's memories, well, Fulton, Missouri is where... Winston Churchill delivered his famous speech announcing that Stalin had imposed an iron curtain across the center of Europe. So his great you know, an iron curtain has fallen across from Stettin in the north to Triesk in the south and so on. And uh, uh, so that famous speech, it was bookended by now Mikhail Gorbachev delivering a very sinister end of the Cold War speech at the same location, Fulton, Missouri, obviously very theatrically planned, um, much like Biden's um ridiculous speech that he's just given in front of the Philadelphia um, uh, Historic Center with the backdrop all in blood red and, you know, it's almost like uh, Star Wars, uh, <laughs> the emperor and uh, a kind of Stalin type of scenario. But anyway, um, what Gorbachev did <clears throat> was he gave a very sinister end of the Cold War speech. And it's sinister because 
it contained a menu of conditions on the basis of which the Soviet Union would be willing to cooperate with the West, plus a whole lot of more or less explicit threats of world war if the West failed to cooperate as instructed. And uh, it was basically threatening all sorts of things if you don't cooperate and go into convergence. There's a lot of cooperation, blackmail, cooperate or else, very Leninist uh, operation. And immediately after this, what happens is Gorbachev, who's just stepped out of being head of the Soviet Union, moves over to being head of the climate change, uh, a green cross international and uh, helps establish the Earth Council and writes the Earth Charter. And uh, uh, this was all launched in 1992 in Rio de Janeiro as the Earth Summit. And it's very interesting because that's really where the Great Reset started. And so the Great Reset, to understand what's, what Mikhail Gorbachev did, one's also got to understand this Canadian billionaire, Maurice Strong. Now, Maurice Strong, a billionaire from Canada, is the co-founder with Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum, <laughs> the very same World Economic Forum, which speaks about the Great Reset and the Fourth Industrial Revolution, how in the future you'll own nothing and be very happy. And, uh, well, Maurice Strong became Gorbachev's number one partner. And so Gorbachev and Strong, Maurice Strong, have been playing a tactical tag team for promoting the Marxist agenda in the name of climate change and to save the earth. Because immediately um, after this end of the Cold War, we get the head of the United Nations, Secretary General Butrus Butrus Ghali, takes Strong, Maurice Strong, and makes him Secretary General of the UN Conference on the Environment and Development better known as the Earth Summit, which took place in Rio de Janeiro in 1992. Well, Gorbachev is the one who wrote the Earth Charter. And so along with Stephen Rockefeller, there's Mikhail Gorbachev with probably the assistance of Maurice Strong writing the Earth Charter, which they said is to be a new Ten Commandments, a new Sermon on the Mount that provides a guide for human behavior towards the environment in the next century and beyond, meaning 21st century that we're in right now. And so Gorbachev made it very clear in a 1997 interview with the Los Angeles Times, this is to be a new Ten Commandments, a new Sermon on the Mount. This provides a guide for human behavior towards the environment of the 21st century and beyond. So intriguing because the Earth Summit at Rio de Janeiro in 1992, which is really the beginning of a great reset, it's promoting the idea that only global governance can save us. Out of the Earth Summit is to come a slew of UN treaties, all of which sought to implement a Soviet-style global green regime to respond to the existential crisis of global warming, acid rain, deforestation, ozone depletion, biological diversity, etc. And the only solution to this, we're going to all die, and the plant's going to die if we don't get global governance. We need a one-world government, we need a one-world economic system, we need a one-world interfaith religion, all of this can be provided by this new Ten Commands, this new Sermon on the Mount, which Gorbachev is the key architect and author of. And he then goes, following the Earth Summit, he launches the Green Cross International, and Strong, Morris Strong, his partner, establishes the Earth Council, and this dynamic duo jointly used this to propel the schemes for global control. And so to understand just the key role that Gorbachev's been playing since then, he basically took all these uh, key people who were out of a job with the Soviet Union collapsing and brought them, the personnel and the strategies, into 
the Green Cross International. And so uh, it, it's quite amazing when you look and see what he's managed to do, because in the uh, Green Cross International, you have the Gorbachev Foundation and the Green Cross International and the Earth Summit and the Earth Council have taken over the tasks of the International Department of the Central Committee of the CPSU, that's the Communist Party of the Soviet Union, took over the tasks of their international department and took over their personnel. And Mikhail Gorbachev literally moved into the Presidium in San Francisco and with him moved in a whole range of KGB and Central Committee of the Communist Party Soviet Union International Department to advance their goals with greater effectiveness than they ever could have from Moscow. And basically, Mikhail Gorbachev's been bringing the Trojan horse within the gates of the West. He's been a master of deceit. He's carried out a globalist plan to destroy freedom and nationalism. And all of this is actually not that unprecedented because in 1921, Vladimir Lenin, the first Soviet dictator, launched what he called the New Economic Policy, NEP. And so this is 1921. The Bolsheviks have gained control of the old Russian Empire, they've instituted the Soviet Union, and he, uh, Lenin produces a thesis called The Role and Functions of the Trade Unions Under the Economic Policy. And in this, Vladimir Lenin declares, now this is 100 years ago, that they have to introduce a number of changes due to the fact that the entire policy of transition from capitalism to socialism, the Communist Party of the Soviet Union, need to adopt special methods to implement this transition and they're going to operate differently from the way they speak. Don't be worried about what we say, because we have to say certain things to get the investments we need, but we're capturing a number of positions by new flanking movement, drawing back in order to make better preparations for a new offensive against capitalism, the two steps forward, one step back philosophy, the Hegelian dialectic, thesis, antithesis, synthesis. And so the free market capitalism that they were going to introduce into Russia through the new economic policy was subject to state control. It was being permitted, but was doing it as a deceptive flanking movement in order to gain the investment needed in order to advance socialism and to export socialism. And at that time, the New York Times, August the 13th, 1921, headlined, Lenin abandoned state ownership as Soviet policy. And New York Times uh, proclaimed, Lenin has thrown communism overboard. I don't know how many people remember that, but that's how the New York Times responded to the new economic policy deception operation of Vladimir Lenin in 1921. And so they continued to publish all kinds of propaganda supporting everything from detente uh, to uh, the um, perestroika and uh, the detente and whatever else was out there, glasnost. Uh, they continue to this day to support every Soviet deception operation. So it's interesting that Lenin's quote from 1921 is very significant because Gorbachev quoted it in its entirety in May 1991. And so in the issue of political affairs, the official journal of the Communist Party USA, the Communist Party USA published this from Gorbachev quoted extensively from Lenin's new economic policy explaining, don't worry about what I'm saying and what I seem to be doing. This is to advance socialism. And this is exactly what Lenin did back in 19. Uh, 21. So 1991, May 1991, in Political Affairs, the official journal of the Communist Party of the United States of America, the leader, Carl Blois, Comrade Blois, explained to the party faithful, don't be confused by the seemingly chaotic 
disintegration of the Soviet Union. Gorbachev and the Soviet leaders are adopting Lenin's new economic policy, and the changes do not in themselves constitute a threat to socialist principles. Indeed, they're being undertaken with a view to strengthening communism. And then using Lenin's phrase, Blois emphasized to the American Communist Party that this new Soviet trust would require special measures. Now, Blois had been to Moscow many times to confer with the party leadership. He uh, explained to his people in America, don't be disturbed, Gorbachev's a thorough, committed Leninist. And so Gorbachev in his book, 1987 book, Perestroika, New Thinking for a Country in the World, was very explicit about his Leninist principles. And one of the subtitles of his book's first chapter is Turning to Lenin, an Ideological Source of Perestroika. So Gorbachev says of that Bolshevik butcher, Vladimir Lenin, his very image is an undying example of lofty moral strength all around spiritual culture, selfless devotion to the cause of the most radical program of economic reform and to socialism. And he says, yes, Perestroika is a radical but it's a very important program for economic reform of Russia. Uh, But this is the most radical since Lenin's new economic policy of 1921. And Gorbachev stated, we're talking about 1987 here, that every part of his program of perestroika and glasnost, the whole program is fully based on the principle of more socialism and more democracy. We want more socialism, therefore we need more democracy. And he so enthusiastically promoted this that uh, he was intentionally confusing the meaning of the words. Even one of his followers, um, Gail Sheeney, uh, who is a real Gorby, uh, gushing, um, uh, Gorby mania supporter, she remarked on the Soviet leaders' masterful use of estopian language. It's so easy to play on the naivety of Europeans and American, she wrote, telling us what we want to hear using the very words we cherish in our constitution without being too precise. And so in a very adulatory biography of Gorbachev, she said, democratization is not democracy. It's a slogan for the temporal liberation, liberalization handed down from our leader. Glasnost is not free speech, only free speech that we want. And so <laughs> to be um, uh, fair, um, we need to also explain uh, that everything Gorbachev did was warned about before he even came to power by the Soviet defector Antlai Galitsyn. And he wrote the book, New Lies for Old, predicting everything that Gorbachev was going to say and do uh, years before Gorbachev even uh, rose to the limelight. And uh, it's it's well worth noting. So uh, to understand this great reset of this globalist communist uh, Gorbachev, um, it's, it's amusing to see the people who are praising Gorbachev right now. President Biden has called Mikhail Gorbachev a man of remarkable vision, which is true, um, who had the courage uh, and he was calling him a rare leader. Uh, The UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres uh, says Mikhail Gorbachev was a one of a kind statesman who changed the course of history. He did more than any other individual to bring about the peaceful end of the Cold War. Well, I thought Ronald Reagan won the Cold War, but they're now saying Gorbachev did. And Uh, Guterres of the UN says the world has lost a towering global leader, a committed multilateralist, a tireless advocate for peace. And uh, Angela Merkel, who, remember, was once a member of the Communist Party Youth in East Germany, uh, her father, who lived in the West, chose to move to the East, you know, while millions are fleeing to the West. 
he moved his family to the east to bring up his daughter under communism. So Angela Merkel, and I've seen a picture of her with a red scarf of the Communist Party youth around neck. Uh, Angela Merkel, who was once German Chancellor, wrote, Gorbachev wrote world history. He exemplified how a single statesman can change the world. Well, yes. Um, Russian President Vladimir Putin's not very positive. He didn't even attend the funeral of uh, Gorbachev. Uh, he just said, um, I note the great humanitarian, charitable, and educational activities that Mikhail Sergeyevich Gorbachev conducted in recent years. So that's about all he said about him. So he obviously doesn't seem to think of Gorbachev too highly. But the West loves him. Interesting that he wasn't given a state funeral in Russia, uh, and uh, and the president of Russia didn't bother to attend his funeral. But in the West, he's being adored. So former U.S. Secretary of State James Baker said Gorbachev was a giant, an honest broker whom he could trust. History will remember Mikhail Gorbachev as a giant who steered his great nation towards democracy. The free world misses him greatly. So there's no end of garish gushings for Gorbachev from the globalist choir. Um, he's a saint of the New World Order and of the Great Reset. And there's really a Gorbachev cult, and it started in the 80s, it continued through the 90s, it continued and spurred through the 2000s. But right now we're just seeing the outpouring of this uh, Gorbachev cult, not just from the Marxists that you'd expect, but from people who are meant to be freedom-loving uh, Republicans and so on. It, it's bizarre. So the Gorbachev cult seems to have gone beyond the personality cults built around mass murdering dictators like Joseph Stalin and Mao Zedong, because those were directed by their communist parties and by the state-owned, state-controlled media propaganda organs, which makes sense. But the Gorbachev cult is different in that it's global and it's shamelessly nurtured and it's promoted by the so-called free world, not only by politicians and academics and think tanks, but especially by the media who meant to be free. And you would have expected a little bit more critical investigative journalism, which we're going to try and give. But but I must say, not everyone's joined this um, uh, adoring uh, of, um, of Gorbachev chorus. For example, the Lithuanian foreign minister, uh, Gabrielis Landsbergis, said Lithuanians will not glorify Gorbachev. We will never forget the simple fact that his army murdered our civilians to prolong his regime's occupation of our country, Lithuania. It was the Red Army of Gorbachev who fired on our unarmed protesters, crushed them under his tanks. That is how we will remember him. So interesting uh, that there are some who speak about Gorbachev the way he was. And uh, I remember Gorbachev in the 80s as one of the, the key leaders of the evil empire because we were busy fighting in Angola against his Cuban surrogates who were waging a war to advance the Soviet Union uh, in Southern Africa to gain control over the mineral riches and the Cape Sea route, the strategic Cape Sea route of South Africa. But understand this. This is the man, of Gorbachev, that most people prefer to forget. Understand that his government was, at the time that he was uh, chairman of the Soviet Union, uh, the, the supreme leader there, uh, his regime was committing genocide in Afghanistan. And he was arming terrorist groups throughout the world. He was funding and providing weapons to terrorists throughout the whole of the Middle East, including in Iran and Iraq and Yemen and Libya and Cuba and North Korea, of course. He armed and supplied and subsidized the Cuban army in 13 different countries in Africa from as far afield as Ethiopia, Angola, uh, Mozambique, where they were committing mass murder amongst the Christians. 
Gorbachev supported the brutal communist Sandinista regime that seized power in Nicaragua at the cost of how many tens of thousands of lives? Gorbachev continued the massive Soviet drug offensive against the West. This has been well documented in Red Cocaine, how uh, he was using the state apparatus to smuggle drugs into the West to break down the youth of the West in order to make them unable to defend themselves and not interested in defending their countries either, and making sure that the drugs reach the soldiers and, and the army too. And there's been a massive campaign of Red Cocaine. And that the drug cartels going into America were particularly controlled by the Cuban uh, equivalent of the KGB. And so uh, that was uh, one of their highest priorities was the drugging of America. So all this took place under uh, Gorbachev. Gorbachev used his troops, his tanks. He used poison gas to crush protesters who were protesting for freedom in Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Azerbaijan, and Georgia and Lithuania. They used poison gas against protesters. This is just part of what he did. And uh, you just think of uh, these communists who uh, are telling us what a wonderful man he was and their fellow travelers. But uh, remember that with the fall of the Soviet Union um, back in 1991, uh, at that stage, there were still 5 million people in concentration camps across the gulags of the Soviet Union. So under Gorbachev, this wonderful Democrat, he had 5 million people, 1 million of which were there for religious offenses in the gulags, in the concentration camps, in the Arctic hellholes of Siberia. And uh, he was an unrepentant Marxist-Leninist. And obviously, as a Leninist, he was a master of the dialectic. So Gorbachev proposed a break with the past, and he continued to work closely with top communist leaders from the Soviet era and agents from the communist fronts throughout the world to further the same revolutionary objectives of the Soviet era decades afterwards. Gorbachev was the premier champion for Russian-American convergence, merging America and Russia politically and economically, and to transform the United Nations into a world government. And he was advocating the very objectives which had been initiated by Soviet agents, Alga Hiss, who was the first general secretary of the United Nations and proven KGB spy, Andrei Gromoko, of course, the Soviet premier, um, Molotov, famous uh, Russian uh, Soviet foreign affairs minister during the Second World War, which the uh, uh, Molotov cocktails named after when the Finns found a cheap, easy way of taking out Russian tanks in the Winter War. Um, uh, all of them advanced the goal of a one world government and a one world economic system, which, of course, Gorbachev continued to do to his dying day. Now, the breakup of the Soviet Union aided the Kremlin plan to use the UN as a weapon of conquest because uh, they went from having one vote in uh, the UN to having 15 votes because the old Soviet Union broke up into 15 separate states in virtually every case uh, run by the same communists who had been running them before. And so Gorbachev continued to work with one world insiders in the West who supported Soviet dictators. And of course, it's been proven Wall Street and the and the um, and the uh, Bolshevik Revolution, uh, Professor uh, Anthony Sutton documented the best enemy that money can buy, how the West, from the time of Lin all the way through um, to Gorbachev, were always funding, supporting, aiding, doing technology transfers to save the Soviet Union. The banksters of the West and the communists of the East seem to be working hand in glove. But convergence is the key word. And Mikhail Gorbachev, 
got global celebrity status unmatched by any other political leader. He was called a prophet of world peace, but we think of him more as a dangerous Pied Piper. And uh, yes, many people are legends in their own minds, but Mikhail Gorbachev is a legend of mythical proportions in the minds of hundreds of millions. He's lionized now as the man who ended the Cold War, which we thought Ronald Reagan's the man who ended the Cold War, but now they're forgetting Ronald Reagan trying to put Gorbachev, uh, who was the antagonist, as the man who ended the Cold War, which isn't really fair. Now, his best-selling author of his biography, Gail Sheeney, describes as the man who changed the world. Um, sigh. Uh, so in, April, in August of 1991, there was a coup in the Soviet Union, which apparently, supposedly, swept Gorbachev from power when Boris Yeltsin uh, took power. And uh, there was uh, Gorbachev, there's this famous picture of where he's looking very shamefaced and uh, there's Yeltsin wagging his finger in his face. And this was on the front page of all kinds of newspapers that this is the end of the Soviet Union. And Yeltsin, uh, the premier of Russia, uh, is now telling the premier of the Soviet Union uh, to behave and this is what he's got to do. Well, formally, Gorbachev resigns the 25th of December, 1991. So Christmas Day, 1991, he resigns as president of the Soviet Union. And that post is now abolished. No more Soviet Union. But immediately after that, he's heralded as the new global environmental and spiritual leader at the 1992 United Nations Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro. He receives his Nobel Peace Prize, and he receives the honor of being Time Magazine's Man of the Decade not just man of the year, man of the decade. And then he's appointed to head the International Commission to draft the Earth's Charter, a new set of ethical principles to guide the planet, which is another word for globe. So uh, he's serving the globalists, but now with a different type of um, uh, terminology uh, from the old Marxist ones, but it's still the same goal, uh, global government to rule everyone. So he, he launches the Great Reset effectively by drafting this new Ten Commands, this new Sermon on the Mount for Humanity, which was formally adopted not only by corporations and governments, but by private organizations and religious bodies like the World Council of Churches, accepted this new Ten Commands, this new Sermon on the Mount, the Earth Charter, written by Gorbachev. So the Rio Summit was the launching pad for the Green Cross International, of which Gorbachev was the founder and the president, Headquartered in Geneva, Switzerland, but he was actually running it from the Presidium in San Francisco, too. And the Green Cross provided a forum for many Gorbachev-led initiatives, and it was given consultative status, formal status at the UN and the Council of Europe, with direct funding from governments. So Gorbachev moved from being head of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union, president of the Soviet Union, to being head of the Earth Charter, the Earth Council, and he had now, not just power over the old Soviet Union, he had power over the West and the world as well. And now presidents and prime ministers and sultans, kings and billionaires and business leaders and media mongols and movie stars all shamelessly courted Gorbachev like teeny boppers flocking around their latest MTV idol. And he had a tour of the United States, like a triumphal tour of speaking engagements where the faithful held on his every word as this former dictator with blood on his hands for massacres and invasions and poison gas and all the rest, was now hailed as one of the greatest uh, leaders in the world and the hope for the future and all the rest. And so uh, he was revered uh, all over. And he even went and um, uh, he 
for example, uh, had the 80th birthday celebration of the former Israeli Prime Minister Shimon Peres and Bill Clinton and South African traitor President F.W. de Klerk, who betrayed our country, and Hollywood actresses like Kathleen Turner and all kinds of glitterati came to Simon Perez's 80th birthday bash. And uh, Gorbachev was the, the man of the hour. And he had conferences in Italy, in Japan, in Netherlands, and he proclaimed the new world water crisis. And European events were used to launch his publications in German, Spanish, Dutch, French, Russian. He wrote the book, My Agenda for the Earth. My Agenda for the Earth. And this was very big in the 1990s. And this is really where the Great Reset got started. So Gorbachev is the initiator of the Great Reset. And Ted Turner starts a disarmament television series on PBS, Avoiding Armageddon. And who's his main star? Mikhail Gorbachev. So Ted Turner uses massive CNN um, enterprise in order to promote Gorbachev in the starring role on avoiding Armageddon and his main message is interdependence, moving to the new world order and so on, a new transition, which is another word for great reset or great revolution is another uh, word for that. And then there was the Biovision World Event Sciences Forum in Lyon, France, the Rome Summit of Nobel Laureates, the annual event organized by Gorbachev. Um, it just over and over, Gorbachev was the man to have as the speaker at whatever event there was. He was uh, interesting when you've got an ex-dictator and mass murderer giving lectures on um, democracy and uh, saving the planet and all of that. And yet with all of this, Gorbachev still found time to record his first English narration, a new politically correct rendition of composer Sergei Prokofiev's Peter and the Wolf. And in this environmentalist tale that they distorted, um, now told from the poor wolf's point of view, he had fellow narrators, Bill Clinton and Sophie Loren. <laughs> so you could just see Hollywood, politics, US government, Democrats, they're all uniting to, to push Gorbachev forward. And uh, Gorbachev's admiring host remind us He's a tireless humanitarian. He's toiling for world peace, for democracy, for Mother Earth. And the headline from uh, the um, front page post-crescent in uh, Appleton was typical. Once Cold War foe, former leader, now humanitarian. Interesting, former leader, not former dictator, but former leader, now humanitarian. And a local professor at the university said Gorbachev really is a figure of world historic importance. It is difficult to exaggerate his importance for 20th century history. It's hard to find anyone bigger than this. And uh, uh, all kinds of leaders were ecstatic seeing Gorbachev mount the stage, saying this is the highlight of my life. Um, and that's normal. Uh, people responding at that stage to shake his hand, to hear him personally. This was the highlight of their entire life. You can only feel sorry for people for whom hearing Gorbachev was the highlight of their life. Well, the voices running contrary to this almost universal, unanimous acclaim was really heard. But they did exist and they should be heard. For example, Dr. Hans Graf Hun, the top German expert in Soviet deception, noted at the time that despite the intended outward appearance of collapse, the Communist Party and the KGB structure in the Soviet Union were still operating, were still maintaining political control throughout Russia throughout the 90s. And the supposed independent nations of the Commonwealth of Independent States, the CIS, which replaced the USSR, uh, were still in operation. 
and the worldwide communist party apparatus and the global kgb network was unaffected they were camouflaged but they were continuing to carry out their revolutionary functions so where do the old structures of the soviet union hide asked Hun. and then he answered in the gorbachev foundation the gorbachev foundation has taken over the tasks and the personnel of the international department of the central committee of the cpsu the communist party of the soviet union and Mikhail Gorbachev and the Gorbachev Foundation and the Green Cross and the Earth Council took over the duties of the CPSU, Communist Party Soviet Union International Department. And this is not just the opinion of this German expert on Soviet deception, Dr. Hans Graf Hun. In fact, some very serious authorities agree with this. So KGB defector Antoni Galitsyn and Christopher Storey uh, both support this. And Christopher Story, based in London, publisher of the authoritative Soviet uh, uh, an analyst, um, provided mountains of evidence to back up the claims that Gorbachev was part of an enormous deception operation, that Perestroika was an enormous deception operation, that Mikhail Gorbachev was not the man of peace, but still the arch enemy who had now brought the Trojan horse within the gates of the West, that Gorbachev was a master of deceit, carrying out his plan with fellow strategists in Moscow and fellow one world globalists in the West, in New York and Washington and London, seeking to destroy freedom and nationalism worldwide, following Lenin's uh, whole new economic policy strategy of deception of 1921, which they admitted, which Gorbachev wrote about, which he admitted um, at the time in public speeches and in his books, like the 1907 book, Perestroika, New Thinking for Our Country and the World, that he is a dedicated Leninist. He is a Leninist for his life. He will die a Leninist. And that everything he's doing is to advance communism, to advance socialism. And don't worry about what he says and what he does, uh, because this is part of the same strategy that Lenin used in 1921 uh, to advance communism through the new economic policy. Uh, so uh, what, what we have seen uh, Gorbachev do time and again through Glasnost, through uh, Perestroika, and then through the Earth Summit, the Earth Charter, the Earth Council, uh, Rio, uh, and all the rest, is give a new agenda to the world. And he says this new agenda requires economic interdependence, where America and Russia are involved in such cooperation that they can be closely merged. And it involved practically the transfer of tens of billions of dollars, hundreds of billions of dollars later, from American West to the East. And he was working closely with Jeremy or Jeffrey Sachs, Jeffrey Sachs and his crew from Harvard and the Council of Foreign Relations to keep the billions flowing from the tax monies of the West to the agendas of the globalists in the East and to enable the buildup of Red China economically, which is totally built up on Western trade, technology and aid and so on. And so the Communities for International Development Program, for example, is one of Gorbachev's initiatives, which built up the sister cities' relationships with grassroots lobbying forces to support continued funding transfers from Western cities to Eastern cities. And so whether in the, in the Soviet, old Soviet Union, Russia, or whether in, in China, you have sister city relationships where Westerners will be uh, continuing to support from the grassroots the transfer of massive amounts of funds from the West to the East, and of course, technology transfers and stealing of um, Western patents and so on, which China is particularly good at. So creating American-Soviet interdependence through economic and political convergence was the long-term objective of the subversive forces. 
Now, what's intriguing here is what Galitzin and Peter uh, and Christopher Story and others say is backed up by the Ford Foundation's President H. Rowan, who over 60 years ago um, made the claim that the goal was to so alter life in the United States as to make possible a comfortable merger with the Soviet Union. That was said by the head of the Ford Foundation, President Rowan, over 60 years ago. The Ford Foundation, the Carnegie Foundation, the Rockefeller Foundations were all being investigated back in 1953 because of the alarming record of supporting communist front organizations, world government, and programs aimed at subverting Western sovereignty and independence. And they were promoting a one-world elite and using groups like the Council of Foreign Relations, the Trilateral Commission, the Institute of International Economics, um, the Bilderbergers, they've continued and escalated their subversive programs to bring down the West on so many levels, economically, educationally, morally, in so many ways, Hollywood helping and so on. And this was uh, a key role that Gorbachev played. He played the starring role in this extended drama to create a communist-style global regime bringing down the West while building up the East for a great reset, which was announced formally by the billionaires club known as the World Economic Forum, WEF, in 2020, when Klaus Schwab uh, produced his book, COVID-19 and the Great Reset, which could be redescribed as the Great Revolution. So they are aiming to change or reset or revolutionize the entire planet and all humanity economically, politically, socially, biologically, morally, and spiritually along communist lines, and it really ties in with Revelation 13, a one-world government, a one-world economic system, a one-world interfaith religious system, with central planning, controlling, and regimenting every aspect of human life. And Klaus Schwab's been a key part of this. Canadian billionaire Morris Strong's been a key part. Mikhail Gorbachev's been a very key part. Secretary General Butrus Butrus Ghali played his key role. And, of course, the Earth Summit, uh, all of this. But it's it's interesting that a Soviet KGB defector who defected back in the 1960s, and that's uh, Nikolai, uh, Nikolai Galitsyn, wrote New Lies for Old in 1980, predicting an astounding change of policy in Russia, which will begin in East Germany with a coming down the Berlin Wall. They will, uh, they will bring down the Iron Curtain. They will democratize. The Soviet Union will break up. The Communist Party of the Soviet Union will collapse. There will be uh, all kinds of unimagined uh, 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 conditions made. And all of this is part of a long-term strategic planning of the Soviet Union, a very secret element within the KGB of aiming for all sorts of stratagems, maneuvers, illegal methods, evasions, and subterfuge to achieve their objectives, which is to infiltrate and subvert the West and to make the West more communist. And I believe that it got out of control in the East. I think too many of the East uh, uh, actually did achieve freedom, but it's been super successful in, in the West. While Glasnost and Perestroika, uh, I think it was fake through much of the 90s, but I think they lost control in Russia and much of the Eastern Europe countries uh, because of the unexpected hostility and hatred for communism amongst many of the people on the ground. But certainly it was a complete deception operation, Perestroika and Glasnost. And certainly, while they may not have fully succeeded in Russia, they have spectacularly succeeded in turning the West into so communist a, a, a area that you can see with the COVID-19 lockdown lunacy masquerade madness, salvation by vaccination, COVID cult, that they were able to shut down more churches across the world uh, in the name of COVID crisis 
uh, then Stalin and Mao Zedong combined were ever able to close. They've been able to harm Western freedoms, democracy, and especially Christianity massively. And there's no doubt that while they may not seem to have full control of everything going on in Russia, they certainly have much control going on in, for example, the United States of America and Great Britain and Germany and France. You can see how collectivist, coercive methods, a groupthink is being promoted in the West to such an extent that people are being arrested and harassed uh, for something as simple as saying, no, I won't wear a mask or I'm not going to give in to your thought police or no, I've, I've got freedom of conscience and my conscience has kept the word of God. And so plainly you can see that what we have witnessed in uh, our lifetimes, uh, yes, the end of the Cold War, uh, but what we saw was an end of overt communism and a move to covert communism. And covert communism is what we got through much of the West. And we can thank Mikhail Gorbachev for a lot of that. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. Um, amazing information that I was unaware of and how it all ties together. But, you know, folks, what we see, as soon as you see the people you do not trust, the leaders in the West praising someone like Gorbachev, it's obvious this guy was not a good guy. OK, um, Peter's really uh, joined the dots as to why today you towards the end, um, you touched on the covid lockdowns and how they'd close more churches uh, than Mao Zedong and Stalin combined. I was just typing that up uh, as uh, you ended the presentation, hence my slight delay, Peter. But I think that's a very important uh, comment because I've seen recently with the energy crisis that we're told uh, we're going to face in the West um, and the similarity between that and the COVID lockdowns. Now we were told we've got to lock you in your homes, we've got to lock down certain businesses that aren't essential and we'll determine the ones who are, that are essential and just by chance you know a normal shop selling food is not essential if it's owned by a local person but the supermarket around the corner that's owned by a multinational that is essential hence lots of small and medium-sized businesses went out of business and of course that means less competition for these people. Um, what we're seeing today with the energy shortages, uh, you know where I'm going with this, is we're hearing all mm -hmm. these stories about businesses facing 10 times rises in their energy. They can't pay it. So I think that this is another method of destroying more small and medium-sized businesses because the only way that communism works is if it's uh, everything's controlled, we're told, by the state, but it's actually these private individuals in the World Economic Forum that control everything. And so if somebody like you or I speak out of turn and say something that they don't like, oh, you can't go to the supermarket, we own that. You can't go to this bank, we own that. All these different things. And it's about getting rid of choice and also giving them the power. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, indeed. In fact, this advocacy of smart cities is just another term for uh, uh, prison cities. <laughs> a smart city can be that you are de debited points because you made a a negative Facebook post or you're guilty of a thought crime or a face crime or whatever else it could be. And uh, next thing you find, you can't get into your own home or your car stops or uh, the, the bus won't let you on or whatever because you're now person non grata. A smart city can be a place where they can lock things. They can prevent you buying, selling, doing anything because uh, you are now, uh, you've exceeded the number of, of uh, points on their credit system. And literally, just like in Australia, after so many parking fines or 
um, uh, infractions of traffic rules, you can lose your traffic license and you can lose your car. And uh, so in, in China, they've got this credit system where they literally are debiting you for negative Facebook posts and other things. And after a while, you can suddenly find you lose everything, your job, your home, the whole deal. And so th this great reset, they keep trumpeting a lot of this technology, but they're aiming to use the technology not to advance freedom, but to infringe freedom. And we can see how people are getting deplatformed. Uh, people, well, how they could just take a president like uh, Donald Trump and suddenly uh, deplatform him, make him an unperson, can't use Twitter, Facebook, a whole lot of things. Well, you know, if you some uh, Taliban in Afghanistan beheading people, no, sure, your, your Facebook account, Twitter account, secure. Uh, but if if you involved in uh, let's make America great again, that's something that uh, with thirty something million supporters and followers, well, that you can be deplatformed. This is where they are going. This is this is the dream of the Felix Dzinski who founded the Cheka. This is the dream of every Stalin and Trotsky out there is total control over people. And this is why they are promoting shortages, instituting policies to make sure there's a shortage of fuel, shortage of food, make the people dependent on government. The goal is a classless world society of world communism where everyone is dependent upon the state. In this case, we're talking about the globalist super state, the, a sort of United Nations state. You depend on the state for everything. That's why they've got a war against farmers, why they've got a war against fathers, why they've got a war against the family, they've got a war against Christianity, because their goal is total control. This is what the Marxist Manifesto is all about. This is what the Sabbatan goals are all about. This is exactly what the Great Reset is all about, where you will lose your freedoms, you will own nothing, but you will be happy. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And uh, yes, uh uh, communism uh, was founded by a guy called Moses Mordecai Levy, who for some reason changed his name to Karl Marx. I wonder why. And now we <laughs> look at today, the other aspect that we see that the COVID lockdowns have got in common with the energy uh, so-called shortages is neither of them were true. Uh, the COVID was basically, if you look at the figures, so many people quote them, there were no seasonal flu figures but they were just rebranded as COVID. And any way that they could add to those figures, they would. So they would, if somebody died of, of, of some serious, uh, you know, had a heart attack, but they tested them for COVID, oh, they died of COVID or with COVID. They use everything to manipulate it so you know that they're lying. So they used uh, a non-threatening uh, illness, just the seasonal flu, to lock people in their homes and to close down businesses so that they could destroy those businesses so they increased their communist control um, when there was no need to do so. So it was, if you think these people care about your health, I mean, this is the, they've been trying to kill us in so many ways for, for decades, if not centuries. I mean, you just look at the Rothschild banking dynasty and how they um, finance both sides in wars and make a fortune out of it and get the political outcome that they want. Uh, the mother famously said, Gutel Schnaper of the first five Rothschild's sons. If my sons did not want wars, there would be none. But you never get any politicians or anything referring to these people, do you? No, because they're all in their pocket. But the other thing that's important is there is no energy crisis. People say, well, what do you mean? You know, all my prices are going up. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's false. You, let's go to America. 
Uh, and this is how the environmental movement that Gorbachev was such a part of, and even Paul English said, when the communism fell, they switched to environmentalism. That was their replacement for it, to still get communism through. Um, there's areas like in Alaska, oh, you can't drill for oil there. And I understand a small area there will keep um, the United States uh, abundant with energy for hundreds of years. Same here in the UK. We've got all our North Sea oil fields. We've got our, our coal mines that were closed down. All these different things that we've got. Oh, no, you can't use this because environment. You can't use that. No, it's not about the environment. If people care about the environment, they keep telling us what a human being, how they pollute the environment and all the different ways one human being pollutes the environment. Well, if these people care about the environment so much, why are they pumping immigrants into all the Western countries on a daily basis if they care about the environment? They don't. It's a lie. It's a lie to try and justify how they can restrict your energy consumption. And as we know, we were doing quite well with the energy coming from Russia and the people weren't given the opportunity in the West to vote to say whether they wanted to continue doing so with regard, uh, after the invasion of Ukraine. They were just told, oh, uh, this is what's going to happen. And uh, as I touched on a BBC article on Monday's show, uh, the, the Zelensky's wife was literally shaming the West, saying, oh, why do you care about your prices going up? We've got people dying here. Just think of that. You know, so they're using all these different tactics to try and shame people into, well, you know, I shouldn't complain about my energy when people are dying. They don't need to be dying. There, there was no need for this war to have taken place if the Ukraine government hadn't been shelling those Russian, uh, those territories, Donetsk and Luhansk, uh, that had all these, what was it, 14,000 people killed over those years. Mm. The Ukraine was doing quite fine before... Um, the Americans, under people like Victoria Newland, decided to go in and overthrow the regime in 2014. So they don't need to come this sort of nonsense with us. We know what's going on. It's all designed against the people. And once again, they're using fake shortages in order to pull it off. Peter, back to you. Yes, I think it's important to notice that the green environmentalists are like watermelons. They're green on the outside, but they're red on the inside. If you've ever had a watermelon, you know how that works. And so they say on the outside, they're concerned about the environment. And yet, where's most of the pollution coming from? Red China is contributing most of the water pollution in the oceans, for example. And uh, when they are banning plastic straws in Cape Town or California, well, it's not our uh, societies that are doing the littering, the massive pollution of the oceans coming overwhelmingly from communist countries like Red China, which contributes more to uh, air pollution, water pollution, ocean pollution, all the rest than any other. And you can see under the Soviet Union, the greatest ecological disasters were done. I mean, they even destroyed the Ural Sea, an entire massive inland sea, one of the biggest seas in the world. They destroyed by over uh, irrigating from it through central planning. And next thing you knew, fishing villages were 100 kilometers from the shore because they destroyed the sea. It's only communism can cause environmental catastrophes like this. And now when they're saying you've got to get a uh, electric car, well, do you know who controls most, like 70% of the green energy technology? Red China. So instead of, and do you know how much destruction environments involved in producing the batteries, for example, for these electric cars that Red China is um, has the monopoly on? 
And so basically you can see the whole green deal is in many cases the, like a watermelon. It's only green on the outside, it's red on the inside. And you looked at the green cross of Gorbachev. Well, at like his um, Earth Summit and Earth Charter and Earth Council, they were all very green on the outside. And just like watermelon, they're very red on the inside. Communist Party, USA personnel, communist goals, solution to every problem is more state control, if not internationalist, globalist control. So look at who benefits, follow the money, and it's very, very clear what's been going on. And Gorbachev is not some wonderful Democrat. I've got some quotes from him. Here's quotes from, from him given in public speeches. I am a communist. For me, this is my main goal. I'm not ashamed to say I'm a communist. I adhere to the communist ideal. With this, I leave for the other world. With this, I leave for the other world. With what? He leaves with communism. Well, now Gorbachev's gone to the other world, and it's not likely that he's being received by God and the heavenly host with the same hosannas that his um, sycophants uh, down here, we're lavishing on him uh, by globalists and fellow conspirators uh, in the West. And it's highly unlikely that he's enjoying the same adulation in this other world that he's just gone to, that people in our lamestream, mainstream media are lavishing on him here. So it's important for us to know the truth and to speak the truth, because the truth will set us free. Back to you, Andrew. I've got one final question, Peter. In your opinion, how closely allied is communism with a hatred of Jesus Christ? Completely. I think the best authority there is uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, uh, who uh, gave the speech, I believe it was in Buckingham Palace, that the world's never known such a godlessness and maliciousness as, as communism, and that all its economic and political pretensions are incidental. At the very heart of communism is hatred for God. And uh, you only have to read the writings of Karl Marx, and I've, I've produced a study called The Heart and Soul of Karl Marx, which is available as a tract in a couple of languages, which we distribute outside communist meetings. And it's just staggering. The hatred to God, not just in Karl Marx's writings, but evident in the Marxist Manifesto and in the propaganda of the Soviet Union. They have a war against God, they hate God. And so if people think, oh, that's just something incidental. No, according to Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the greatest Russian author of the 20th century, the greatest Russian historian of the 20th century, hatred to God is the central pivot, the main driving force of communism. And um, it seems to also be the major driving force of Hollywood. And remember that the Communist Party, uh, Comintern, Communist International, made already in 1921 infiltration of Hollywood as one of their primary strategic international goals. And it's just said that the Communist Party was the only party in town at Hollywood at the beginning, and, and that's true. That's not just an ironic uh, play on words. The uh, Communist Party infiltrated Hollywood from the very beginning, and you can see how Hollywood has become anti-Christian, blasphemous, normalizing blasphemy, which would have been so uh, rare, it would have been only something that the, the lowest uh, elements of society would have ever engaged in and it would have been frowned upon and prosecuted in much of Western civilization before. But Hollywood has progressively broken down the family, broken down respect for God and popularized blasphemy and the breaking of all of God's commandments to such an extent that you can see how public events such as, for example, uh, the Birmingham Commonwealth Games opening event could be openly, blatantly celebrating a ball worship type of dark, sinister, evil types of celebrations. And uh, this is the global elite chain, the contempt for the average person, and especially the hatred for God. It's 
on display all over the world. Yes, I would say hatred for God is at the essence of communism. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And before we go, can you please let people know how they can contact you and where they can find your work? Yes, my personal email is peter at frontline.org.za or um, uh, frontline, uh, peter at frontline.org.za, we would say frontline.org.za uh, 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 is the way we say it. And um, uh, our website is frontlinemissionsa.org, frontlinemissionsa.org, frontlinemissionsa for South Africa.org. And you'll find us also on social media, both Frontline Fellowship and Peter Hammond. It'll be good to hear from folks who are interested in uh, getting involved in these things. And if there's anyone in the Cape Town area, we've got regular meetings uh, every week dealing with these sort of things. And we'd love to see you as well. Thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And uh, links to Peter's websites and his email address will be in the post for this show. So you can copy and paste that there or you can click directly into the sites from the show post. I want to thank Peter so much for joining me today on a show entitled The Real Story of How Mikhail Gorbachev Instigated the Great Reset. I want to thank all of you for listening. I'll be back with you all tomorrow. Until then, folks, have a wonderful day and bye for now. 